we've got uh, two great missionaries that our church supports. One of them is our very own Alyssa Soy, and, and El Salvador is slowly opening back up, and so we're, um, I think she's able to start buying her plane tickets now to get on the field there. Our other missionary is a guy named Michael Titus. He's a Tanzanian uh, missionary with, with J-Life, which is my our Sun Life counterpart in Africa. And uh, it was 10 months ago I was able to be there and serve alongside him. And, and he sent us a video update that we're going to watch this morning and, and see what is, is going on there with some of the work that you and I are supporting there in, in Tanzania. Let's check this out. able to open the school and... Uh Thank God that the school is doing well. And actually, um, we've been busy with innovation and adding some classrooms. And uh, this is what is, it looks like, our school. And uh, thank you so much for being part of this, uh, what is happening here. We are touching community holistically. And uh, this school has been really blessing to, to to this community just recently we have been able to um, to make 10 uh, washrooms as you see from far there uh, 10 washrooms we have now finished and uh, students now they have started to use since yesterday and uh, also we have been able to add uh, two classrooms you see the end there uh, these are two classrooms which we we have added just recently. Um, we are so grateful for what uh, we have done for the moment. Now we are trusting God for water reservation, just to make uh, to do something which will help us uh, to, to make something which will help us to harvest water. Now just pray with us so that we can be able to have a fund which we are, we, we are in need now for for water. Water here is very, 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 um, uh, very hard to get water. And uh, we have tried to dig, but actually it's very salty. Now we are taking water, we are buying water from far. But we can harvest water here, um, and then it can be, and then we put a pump, then it can be uh, very helpful for the, our, our kids. So pray for us, pray for us, and... Uh, and uh, we thank you for being part of this, uh, what is good going on here. May the Lord bless you so much. Um, thank you so much. But also buses. We have this bus for the moment. And this bus is very, uh, somehow is, is, uh, is old. And uh, it, it gives us a lot of problems always to maintain every day, actually almost every day. So we are trusting God to find a, a, a bus, even if it's not a, a new one, but at least a bus which we can use for, for uh, at least, I mean, we can use without having a lot of maintenance. And uh, so that's one of the things which also we, we need, we need it for the moment, uh, your prayers, a bus and also uh, the place where we can make, we, uh, to, we can make a water reservation, like um, to, to, to harvest water. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for our partnership together. And uh, thank you for what you have been doing so that we can um, invest with the kids and reach the community and see, experience a uh, holistic transformation to our community. May the Lord bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Bye-bye.
you got to hear his voice. Here's a picture of, of Mike, Pastor Michael, and this is some of the, the children in the village. They started that school about four years ago, and they are re- it's a Muslim village, and they are reaching the kids with the gospel, and it's then reaching the families, with, and then they started a church as a result of the school first. So I've got to preach in that church, teach at that church. I was in that villa, in that school, and he's right, that washroom's new. They didn't have that before in those two classrooms. That bus was there. It was old rickety and stuff before. That's part of Michael's ministry that we get to partner with and support. Uh, but that's not his only ministry, that school and that church. He also invests in country leaders. So he's the, con- the country leader of Tanzania, and he's got 35 different other pastors and ministry leaders that he's training and teaching. And so 10 months ago when I was there, I was with those 35 and Michael for four days training and teaching them. And this is one of those guys. His name is Komoro. And back when we were um, videoing from my home during the lockdown type of thing, I had a picture of Komoro and some of his ministry about two or three times a month. He'll send me pictures of some of the ministry that he's doing, going to the villages and sharing the gospel. And here's one of the villages he sent me this week. The lady sitting next to him in the purple had some serious medical issues, so they were praying for her, and God was miraculously healing her, making her better. So he has that kind of ministry. So I'm helping Mike. Mike's investing in Camoro, And then Camoro, he sent me this picture. Here are some leaders in his villages, some pastors that he is investing in. What we're seeing is investing in people like Jesus did by giving people our time. Now, for two different Sundays, we talked about investing in people with our testimony, investing in lost people like Jesus did. Today, we're going to look at investing in people who are believers by investing our time with them. How did Jesus do it? And then how can we do that like he did? Uh, let me show us a, uh, show everybody a map and orient ourselves where we're going to be today. So here is Jerusalem in Judea, the southern part of the country. Remember, Samaria is in the middle, the central part of the country. And then you've got Galilee to the north, the northern part of the country. That's where Jesus grew up in Nazareth, did a lot of ministry. A lot of his disciples were from Capernaum, Bethsaida. But today, we're going to be in the Judean area. Specifically, you're going to hear us read about the Judean countryside. Now, the Judean countryside is to the west of Jerusalem. You see, you've got the Mediterranean Sea that's at sea level, and as you come to the east, it goes uphill. You're getting up, it's, it's just becoming hills and mountains. Jerusalem is about 22, 2400 feet above sea level, and once you get past Jerusalem, it goes downhill to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is 1400 feet below sea level, lowest place on planet Earth. A couple weeks ago, I was in Death Valley, and they had a big sign there, you're now at 100 feet below sea level. Well, big deal, man. Dead Sea, 1,400 feet. The Dead Sea on the the eastern side of Jerusalem is all desert, the Judean wilderness. So when Jesus was tempted for 40 days, 40 nights, fasting and praying, he was in the Judean wilderness, the desert. Today, we're going to be in the Judean countryside, which is to the west, where it's more lush and green, but also a rugged beauty of mountains over there. Today, we're also going to reference Anon near Salim. If you remember a few weeks ago, John the Baptist was baptizing there. We're going to reference that quickly today. But this is where a lot of our stuff is going to take place today, the Judean 
countryside in John chapter 3, verses 22, through John chapter 4, verse 2. Well, let's read together. Uh, after this, what's the this? What had just happened? What had just happened in John 3 was Jesus was with a guy named Nicodemus who was a ruling Pharisee and rabbi, and he was explaining to Nicodemus that uh, he was the son of God and that if you want eternal life, you've got to believe in Jesus. He was also giving Nicodemus a theology lesson while his disciples were there learning theology as well. So after this, after this time with Nicodemus, maybe not right after immediately, but sometime after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside to the west of Jerusalem with there, where he spent some time with them. How much time, we don't know. This was about 16 months after Jesus first started calling disciples. But he was spending time with them and baptizing. So Jesus was doing two things, spending time, baptizing. This word for spending time, really an interesting word. It's the word diatribo. And this word literally means to rub through the skin. Diatribo. So if you were to go to the beach and you were to squirt sun stand lotion on you, sunblock, and you have this glob of white stuff on you, and then you start to rub it. And pretty soon, where did the white stuff go? It got rubbed into your skin. It became a part of who you are. So what this is saying is as Jesus was spending time with them, he was rubbing off on them. They were becoming like him. They were developing his habits, his priorities, his character. If you were to go to Alabama and live in Alabama for 10 years, guess what you would start to sound like? You wouldn't sound like a Yankee or a Northerner anymore. You would sound, you'd have that Southern accent because the people there would rub off on you. They would de-attribute you. As you spent time with them, they would rub into your skin. So as Jesus was spending this time with them, he was rubbing off on them, which was the typical rabbi-disciple relationship. The other thing he was doing with them was baptizing. Now, who else do we know of that baptized? A guy named John. Let's look. Okay, verse 23. Now, John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim. Remember that on the map. Because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put into prison. Just want to make a little note here. Two people were baptizing, Jesus and John. What were their baptisms like? When we baptize today, we take people to water and we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What were these guys doing when they baptized? There was water involved because, remember, John was Anon near Salim to have water. What were their baptisms like? Were they the same? Were they different? Well, we know that John's baptism was for repentance, to turn from sin and to turn to the coming Savior. He was announcing the way that the Messiah is coming and that the Messiah is here. John's baptism was for forgiveness of sins, for repentance, for repentance from sins. Jesus' baptism, we're going to see in a little bit, is for disciples. He was baptizing more disciples. So as John was baptizing people to repent and turn to Jesus, they were turning to Jesus, believing in Jesus, beginning to follow Jesus, and he was baptizing them to be his disciples. That's the baptism that we do today. 
when people have already put their faith in Jesus, have already acknowledged their sin and turned away from sin, turned to Christ, admitting he's the Savior, he's the Messiah, and I'm going to follow him. I believe and I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be his disciple. That's what we baptize for today. Two different things, Jesus' baptism and John's baptism. Verse 25, well, what happened here? An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew, one of the Pharisees. They had a, a, an argument over the matter of ceremonial washing. What's that all about? Well, let's keep reading. They came to John, the disciples did, and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, Jesus, the one you testified about, because in John chapter 1, verse 35, John said Jesus is the Lamb of God, he's the Messiah. That guy, well, guess what he's doing? He's baptizing, and everybody's going to him. Now, this uh, baptizing that Jesus was doing and John was doing, this is what this certain Jew was referring to when he said um, that this ceremonial washing, he thought John's baptism was somehow some Jewish ceremonial washing, but it wasn't. That's what the argument was about. And somehow in that discussion between that certain Jew and John's disciples, the subject of Jesus and his baptizing must have come up because this is what John said, verse 27. Hey, guess what? A man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm the Christ, but am, I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of, ahead of him. Just stop for a second and think about what have we received from heaven? What's been given to us from heaven? Well, first and foremost, eternal life is only through Christ. It's only given us from heaven. The gifts and abilities that you have are given to you from have you got musical abilities artistic abilities craftsmanship abilities athletic abilities those have been given to you whatever abilities or gifts you have they've been given to you you know what else has been given to you from heaven your gender there's only two doesn't matter what our culture says there's only two male or female your biological body is the gender that God has given you that's I mean I know that's not popular in our culture, but it's true. That's been given to us from heaven. We can't trade them. We can't switch them. We can't, you know, in our mind try to identify as a different one. There's only two. We've been given from heaven our ministry roles, our ministry call. John was saying, hey, you know what? Jesus' role as Messiah is different than my role as the one proclaiming that the Messiah is coming. My job, my role is to prepare a way for him. That's the role that's been given to me from heaven. The role that's been given to him is Messiah. Let's keep reading. Verse 29, John says, the bride, that's the church, that's us. The church, the bride, belongs to the bridegroom. That's Jesus. The friend who attends the bridegroom, the friend is John, the bridegroom is Jesus. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Well, that joy is mine and is now complete. What he's saying here is, hey, I'm the friend of the bridegroom, and being the friend, that's what's been given to me. That's my role, and I'm glad to be that role, and I have great joy because he's here. The bride of the church, or the bridegroom of the church is Jesus, and he's here. And then John says, and this might be the most significant verse in the entire Bible, for the believer in Christ. This might be the most significant 
where John says, he must become greater and I must become less. And if we lived that out every day, our lives would be much more full, or would be much more joyful, would have a lot less sin and distractions and regrets. He must become greater. I must become less. My life must become increasingly less about me, less about my desires every day, and instead more about Jesus, his will, dying to myself, following and obeying him. Verse 31, John said, the one who comes from above, that's Jesus, is above all. We're singing about that this morning, that his name is above all other names. The one from who is from the earth, he's talking about himself, I belong to the earth, and speak as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven, he says it again. In case you didn't catch it the first time, he is above all. He is the greatest. He is first and foremost. And he, verse 2, he testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it, who has accepted Jesus' testimony, has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent, that's Jesus, he speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. What was this about? Why did John include this? Well, John is acknowledging that Jesus has the Spirit of God. In fact, John saw it. He saw the Spirit of God come upon Jesus in his baptism, and he testified to it in John chapter 1 that he saw the Spirit come upon Jesus. That's what he's talking about here, confirming that Jesus is from God, that he is God. And finally, the last couple verses of chapter 3, the Father loves the Son, and he's placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Amen. Praise God. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We were born, because of our sinfulness, as objects of wrath, deserving punishment and death and hell and wrath. But praise God. He gave us a gift of Jesus. If we believe we have eternal life, and God's wrath is no longer on us. But if we reject Jesus, we still incur the wrath of God, death and hell. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So here we see Jesus' baptism is disciples. Although it was, in fact, not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples who baptized. So Jesus was training and his equipping his disciples to do ministry. It wasn't just all about him doing the ministry. He was equipping them to do the ministry. And as always, we want to learn from and live like Jesus. We want to imitate Jesus. We want to invest in people with our time like Jesus. And how do we do that? Let's look at some things today. First, we need to recognize that investing personal time leads to transformation. Remember verse 42. Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them, where he deattributed them, where he rubbed through the skin. As he spent time with them, he rubbed off on them. His character and priorities became a part of who they were. 
They were being transformed to the image of Jesus as they were spending time with Jesus. They had a rabbinical system set up where there was a rabbi and disciples. And as they spent time together, the disciples started to imitate the rabbi. If a rabbi walked a certain way, you know how people have a gait? People, certain people have a gait. One time, Stacy and I, we were in Erie, Pennsylvania, and there's a, there's a peninsula there with beaches and things and walking trails. And we're walking down the walking trail, holding hands, and all of a sudden, this car whips in to a parking lot near where we were, and it was my sister. She didn't know we were in town. She said, what are you guys doing here? I'm like, oh, how did you know we were going to be here? She goes, I didn't. I was just out driving, and I saw this guy that was walks like my brother. <laughs> you got a distinct walk. And I've been told that my sons have that same gait, that same walk about them. You can tell people who they are, tell who they are by their walk. And when there was a rabbi, the disciples would imitate their rabbi's gait, their walk. And you could tell, hey, I know who your rabbi is by the way that you're walking. You're walking like your rabbi. You're imitating your rabbi. The same with their accent. People who lived in Galilee and Samaria and Judea had different accents, just like the United States from the north to the south and different coasts and New England. People have different accents. A, a disciple would imitate the accent of their rabbi. They would use the same words as their rabbi. Now, some of you all don't remember this, but about 30 years ago, the word sweet only referred to a taste or a smell. But about 20 years ago, young people started using the word sweet to describe something that's cool. If you go 40 years ago, cool meant temperature, but then it meant, you know, something that's really sweet. <laughs> and you would use these different words. If you, you, a year ago, if I were to use the word flatten the curve, you'd be like, what the heck are you talking about? But as people, the disciples start to use the same words. One of my guys that, that I'll show a picture of later uh, when he trains, he'll, he'll talk to people and talk to people talk to people. Then he'll say, does that make sense? Does that make sense? And you've, maybe you've heard me say that before because I have imitated my rabbi. The rabbi rubs off on the disciples. The disciples are transformed to the image and the imitation of their rabbi as he spends time with them. What do you think they were doing in the Judean countryside? They're out there for days on end, maybe weeks sometimes. What were they doing? Well, there's no cars. There's no mopeds. There's no Vespas. There's no motorcycles. They're walking everywhere they're going. What are they doing while they're walking? They're talking with each other. They're, there's conversations. No cell phones. There's no iPods. They're, it's just it's they're talking. What else were they doing? They'd have to eat at some point. So as they're preparing their meal together, they're sitting down together, what are they doing? They're talking. They're not out at a restaurant and people pulling out their phones and ignoring each other across the table. They're talking. They've got to cook their food on a fire, so they're building a fire. And what are they doing while they're building a fire? Talking. They've got to sleep at some point. Have you ever camped out at night? And isn't it neat when you get around a fire and... With something about when it's dark out and there's a fire and you're sitting around, have you ever noticed that people will open up more and be more vulnerable with each other and talk about things that if you're looking eye to eye in the daylight, you might not really share. Not bad things, but just deep things about life. Imagine them talking together as they're laying in their sleeping bags talking, or if they have sleeping bags or whatever they're doing. What would they talk about? 
Well, a rabbi would talk with his disciples about life, all aspects of life, about work, about marriage, about handling money, about God, all these different conversations where a rabbi would impact and transform the life as they spent time. They would take on Jesus' worldview as they spent that time with them. Listen, we can and we are called to transform people like Jesus did when we invest time in people like Jesus did. Spending time with them. And this is this is what's happening in our culture, and this is fast. This is quickly going downhill where we've become distracted in our relationships. We invest more time in personal entertainment than in people, and I think it's true. And I, I'm, I'm talking as a guilty person. It's becoming true of me where my phone is taking more time to personally entertain and distract me than talking to people, whether it's a tablet or satellite or cable in the home or, or Netflix. Have you seen, I've got Christian friends, believers, who have wrote on Facebook, hey, can somebody give me a good idea of what to binge watch next on next Netflix? I've seen people do that. I've never seen anybody say, hey, could somebody give me a good book of the Bible that I could binge read next? It's become, we're becoming distracted. Me too. When I, I, I fly often, and, and when I get on a plane, um, sometimes I'll read. Sometimes I'll do work for where I'm heading to to do training and, and coaching with pastors. Uh, but most of the time, honestly, most of the time, I'm entertaining myself. They've got usually free TV or movies, and I'm clicking into that. It's because I'm becoming more trans or more consumed with personal entertainment, distracted with that, than with uh, transforming. We've got if you've got kids or grandkids or stepkids, talk about God's word. Talk about current events. And look at those through the lens of Scripture. Read Scripture together. And if I can encourage, we got some young parents, uh, beautiful young parents in our fa- in our church family. Some that are here, some that are on Facebook. Listen, the best thing you can do is at night sit down and read the Bible to your kids, and then afterwards click off the light, lay down in bed, and just talk, like Jesus did. Talk about life. Talk about God. Talk about family. Talk about work. Talk about those things and impact and transform people. Ask the question, am I investing or just entertaining? Am I helping transform to the image of Jesus or am I being transformed to the image of the culture instead of the image of Christ? Share about God, share about his word and and life. Next thing, take a note of in John 3 uh, is to invest in people that God has entrusted to you. Verse 27 in chapter 3, John said, a man or a woman can receive only what is given him from heaven. Now the context, the context is referring to people. We already talked about, like we've received gifts from heaven, um, abilities from, from, from God, different gender from God, but the context here is talking about people. John's talking about people. John had baptized people, remember, for repentance. They were now going to Jesus to be baptized as his disciples. John had faithfully invested in his own disciples, and he faithfully obeyed what God had given him to do, point people to Jesus. John wasn't jealous 
that he didn't have the same ministry role that Jesus did. He was doing what God gave him to do, and he was investing in the people that God had given to him to invest in. Who are the people that God has given you to invest in? If you're a parent, he has given you your kids so that you can help them meet Jesus and you can help them follow Jesus and disciple them. If you have grandkids, he's given you those grandkids. If he's given you stepkids, he's given you those stepkids. If you've got friends who are believers, like my friend Michael is investing in his friend Komoro, God has given Komoro to Michael to invest in. A couple weeks ago, if you remember, I had to shoot out of here in a hurry. I had to go catch a plane that was flying out at 1230. Well, I was heading to Chicago, and these are some of the guys that I met with in Chicago, was there on Sunday meeting with a guy named JP and a guy named Jay. Uh, this is Jay right here. JP's not in this picture. On Monday, I was with Jay and JP and a guy named Jim. And then on Tuesday, with JP and Josh, everybody at Jay's. And was investing time in these guys. Josh is in his 30s, Jay is in his 40s. And I was investing in these guys, helping them as followers of Jesus. There's a guy that I met with at the beginning of July or middle of July. His guy, this guy's name's Don, and uh, he's a guy that's been investing in me for the past ten years. When I was in my twenties, I had a guy named Lou that invested in me. When I was in my late thirties, early forties, a guy named Doug who invested in me, and now these last ten years, up into fifty-two, this guy named Don who has invested in me. Who are you investing in? Who do you have investing in you, helping transform you to the image of Jesus, investing time for transformation? Invest in people that God has entrusted to you. Just take a few seconds now to ask the question, who has God put in my life that he wants me to invest in? And don't just ask yourself, more importantly, ask God, who have you put into my life that you want me to invest in? Uh, if you have kids, that's the first people he's put into your life. But who are some other believers God has put into your life? And then ask the question, do I need someone to invest in me? Have I sort of hit a ceiling, hit a wall in my walk with Jesus that I need someone to invest in me to help transform me? We need to keep moving our investment next uh, must be Christ-centered. I hope we caught this because two times in verse 31, John said that the one who comes from above, comes from heaven, Jesus, he's above all. That Jesus is first, Jesus is foremost. He is the centerpiece of life for the believer. He is above all. He is above everything. And in this context, John was saying that a relationship with Jesus, following after him, being baptized by him as a believer, or, as, or I'm sorry, as a disciple, that that, following him, that's above all. That's the top devotion. That's the top pursuit. That's the top priority. That's the top loyalty. That is the top relationship, Jesus Christ, above all. My life must constantly be recalibrated and reoriented back to Jesus as very top, because we sin. We get distracted by phones and other things. We get off course and we wander away and we've got to reorient where Jesus is above all. 
I'm not above all. My desires, my interests are not above all, but he is above all. We've said it here before at, at Freedom that our job is our occupation, but Jesus is our preoccupation, and he is above all. He's worthy of that position. I love what's said in Colossians 1. These are some of my favorite verses. For by him, by Christ, all things were created. He's the creator. Things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, the mountains, the wildlife, things we can see, the molecules and, and microbes, things we can't see. He made all those, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and above all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. On Good Friday, Jesus died. Easter Sunday, he rose again. Forty days later, he ascended into heaven. He's alive today so that in everything, in all things, every person, he might have the supremacy that he is above all. There is no one greater than Jesus. There is nothing worth pursuing more than Jesus. My life must be centered on him. And when I invest in other believers, we must make it Christ-centered, talking about Jesus, sharing about Jesus, encouraging each other in our relationship with Jesus, praying together to Jesus. And when we pray to him, he listens because he's alive. He didn't stay in the ground. He rose and he ascended. Share about how we're following Jesus and recalibrating when we wander from Jesus. Our lives and our relationships must be first and foremost about Jesus. And at Freedom, we are honored and proud that our mission is all about knowing Jesus, following Jesus, serving Jesus, obeying Jesus. He's the head of the church. He's the focus of our lives, and he's the center of our relational investments. That's Jesus. And finally, um, did you notice that our investment in people involves equipping for ministry? Remember in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Jesus was baptizing more disciples, but it was his disciples who were doing the baptizing. The baptizing. Why were they doing it? Because he showed them how, he equipped them how to do the ministry, and then he involved them in the ministry. That's part of discipling. It's equipping people and involving people in ministry. The Apostle Paul did that in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Maybe you've heard this before. Paul said to his followers, hey, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul equipped Timothy for ministry. Paul equipped Titus for ministry. Paul equipped Philemon for ministry. Paul equipped many others for ministry. Why? Because Jesus had done that, and he was following the example of Jesus, equipping people for ministry. We have our disciple groups coming up, and in our disciple groups, we want to learn how to follow Jesus, and part of that is equipping. We did our clothe a kid ministry, and praise God, we were able to do some great ministry, but it wasn't just one person. It wasn't the pastor doing the ministry, but people in our church have been equipped, and we can do that ministry together. Well, let's land this plane and just get practical about how can we do ministry. Uh, this is a simple diagram. It's in your program there. Um, this is, I love this tool. Remember, I'm a Polish guy, so I need things really simple. And I can, I, you know, six circles in a triangle I can, I can do that. It's almost like a coloring book for me. 
But I've used this diagram. Uh, in five weeks from today, I'm heading over to the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota to, to train ministry leaders there, pastors, native leaders, for a week. And I'm going to be using this with them. I've used it on two other native reservations. I've used it with leaders in Tanzania, uh, Vietnamese leaders, North American leaders. This is just a great, simple tool. You see those bottom three circles? If you just write right on the right-hand side by those, just write the word lost. These circles are three spiritually lost friends. Just write three names in there of three friends or family members who are spiritually lost. These are people that I'm going to share the gospel with. My testimony. Remember investing in people with our testimony? We learned a couple weeks ago how to do our testimony. And the goal here is one person a month. I'm going to pray for all three of them every day. But one of these names in, this, in one of those three circles each month that I'm going to get together with, whether it's for a meal, it's for a walk in the park, or a play date for the kids, and I'm going to share my testimony with them. And we learned how by asking questions about life, asking about their story, and sharing your story, sharing the gospel. Those two circles in the middle there, just right next to those, believer. Who are two believers? Family members, friends, co-workers, somebody from church, two believers that I'm going to invest my time with. Maybe get together once a week for an hour or every other week or get on the phone for 20 minutes and ask, hey, how's your Bible reading going? What are you reading? What's the Lord teaching you? Where you're encouraging and investing time that leads to transformation. Two believers. And then that top circle, just write the word worker beside that. I just use the word worker because that's what Jesus said. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers for his harvest field. And that worker is somebody who we're going to equip. Like Jesus equipped his disciples to baptize other disciples. Who is somebody that I'm going to equip? And you might say, I don't know how to equip somebody. How do I equip somebody? This is what you do. You get them to draw six circles in a triangle. And you say, hey, fill out three lost friends at the bottom. Three, you write two believers in the middle. And then write the name of somebody else up top that you're going to start to equip. And you teach them how to do their testimony like we did here a few weeks ago. And have them pray every day for their bottom three circles. Have them share once a month with one of the people in, in that circle. And what you're doing is you're equipping them to do ministry like Jesus, like Paul did with his disciples. Just a simple tool that we can use. The guys in the Vietnamese pastors use it. The native leaders use it. The Tanzanian guys use it. It's a simple tool. Let's invest in people like Jesus did. Identify who God has given you. Invest time to transform. And that happens when that time is Christ-centered about him. And then use that time to equip people and involve them in ministry like Jesus did. What's our disciple pathway this week? How about memorizing that great verse, John 3.30? He must become greater, I must become less. I love it because it's so good. I also love it because it's so short, and I can easily memorize it. He must become greater, I must become less. And then here's our Bible reading this week. Ten chapters. Esther, the book of Esther. 
where you can take note of how God uniquely uses his people to influence the world. People who were, they were doing what God had given them to do, and it influenced the world. And then consider, who has God entrusted to you, and how can you invest in them to influence them like Jesus did? Let's pray together. Father, I, I just love looking at the life of Jesus and um, imitating him. Lord, help us to do that. We, we want to walk like he did and talk like he did, pick up his accent and dialect and use kind, encouraging words like he did, point people to the Father and to eternal life like he did. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to walk in righteousness like him. I know I still get discouraged over sin and and failings and, and failures. And, and I are, we all probably do, Lord. Help us, Father, to get back up and to recalibrate and reorient and to walk like Jesus. Father, use us to impact other people, impacting lost people, but also believers, Lord, to influence them with our time and rub off on them like Jesus did. Jesus, please rub off on us and we can rub off on other people. Lord, we pray that this would happen all for your glory and so that we enjoy the life as you've intended it to be enjoyed. We, we praise you, Father, through Jesus. Amen.